Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The Stones Gambling Hall is a sleek, box-shaped casino that sits off a highway outside of Sacramento, California. Inside, the main hall leads to a room called the Saloon. The saloon is the casino's poker room. The space is intimate, with an Old West vibe. There are plywood walls and a massive longhorn steer head gazing over the room's 18 tables. In late September 2019, some of the world's best poker players converged here for a weekend of Texas Hold'em No Limit. The popular variant of poker where players can bet as much as they wish. High rollers flew in on chartered jets, carrying tens of thousands of dollars in cash. As someone who ran a high-stakes poker game, I'm kind of familiar with the type. One player at Stones was running especially hot. He was on the kind of astonishing streak that poker pros call a heater. That player's name? Mike Possel. This puts Possel up 17K! Oh my god, why? Are you serious? That's poker commentator Justin Kelly on the Stones live stream, who was losing his mind as he watched Fossil play yet another perfect hand during that September 2019 game at Stones. Fossil's run, which stretched back to the summer of 2018, was one of the biggest stories in poker. It wasn't just that he was winning often, it was how he was winning. In recent years, poker had been conquered by players who followed algorithms, and artificial intelligence-based strategies, who sucked the mystery and drama from the game. But Postle defied the trend with plays that were counterintuitive and seemingly based on emotion, pure grit, or divine powers. Poker players started to call him Messiah, Apostle, God. And in September 2019, God was on another roll. Five hours into playing Texas Hold'em in the saloon, Postle had run his $5,000 buy-in up to $26,000. That's when he got into a hand with a woman sitting across from him at the table, a younger popular player and vlogger named Marley Cordero. On this particular hand, odds were heavily in favor of Cordero wearing a big pot. What happened next was captured on the Stones live stream and would be dissected over the next coming months as an incriminating piece of evidence. Oh my God, look at this flop. Marley raises pre-possible balls. <coughs> Top pair for Possible. Marley flops the stone cold nutter butters. Queen high straight. Possible checks over to Marley. Possible had a queen of diamonds and a jack of hearts. The flop was an eight, nine and a jack. Three very favorable cards for Possible. But Cordero had a queen and a 10 which gave her the best hand at the table, a nut straight. She bet 200, he calls, four on the turn. He That's might be in a, in a check call mode with just top pair. That's Veronica Brill, Justin Kelly's commentating partner. A seasoned poker pro, Veronica tried to get into Postle's head. 
any player with Postle's cards would think they were in a great position. You couldn't know that Cordero had, in fact, a 96% chance to win, unless you could actually see the two unknown cards in her hand. Following probabilities, most pros in Postle's position would stay in the game, thinking they'd win. But Postle wasn't most players. Wearing a baby blue polo shirt and a white cap so low that it covered his eyes, he tilted his head down at his cards. And then, all eyes on him, he did something remarkable. He flipped his cards towards the middle of the table. He decided, against all odds, to fold. And he mucks. This is what I'm talking about, people. Apostle takes the weirdest lines and gets people to lay down huge hands all the time. Improbably, God once again made the right play. Apostle lost a few hundred dollars in that hand when he should have lost several thousand. But when he has top pair and a straight draw, he's able to just lay down against the nuts. Apostle is just like a freak. He's just a freak of nature, man. He knows. Just doesn't make sense. While Justin praised Postle's genius on the live stream commentary, Veronica was sitting back in her chair, kind of talking to herself, almost under her breath, saying, it's like he knows. It doesn't make sense. She sounded more than just a little baffled. Veronica was skeptical. Yeah. Welcome to Stones, baby. Welcome to the game of Postle. Insane. Insane. It doesn't make sense. It's weird. Absolute insanity, guys. Apostle's play helped him walk away that night with over 26 grand. But it was an even bigger moment for Veronica Brill. That was the moment, Veronica would later say, that she decided the legend of Mike Postle was a complete lie. And that she was going to reveal this lie to the world, even if it would upend the poker world and turn her life upside down. I'm Molly Bloom, and this is Torched, a show about the heat of competition and the cost of greatness. Today, we're going to delve into the world of poker. You probably know that part of why I'm so fascinated by controversies is that I was once embroiled in my own. After running an underground high-stakes poker game in LA, I became a convicted felon. So yeah, I know a little bit about poker scandals. But there's never been a card game controversy, quite like the Stones Gambling Hall scandal. It's a story that made national headlines, pulled in the U.S. Department of Justice, and required an army of online sleuths to help crack it. On top of all that, it shined a light on some hard truths about something else I know a little bit about, what it's like to be a strong woman in the testosterone-filled, male-dominated world of poker. At the center of the story was a man whose improbable rise made him a poker star. But there was another key figure, too the woman who dared to challenge his stardom when no one else would. So I'm really interested about how you got into poker. I got into poker in my 20s. Veronica Brill stumbled into poker in the 1980s when she was working as a nurse in Edmonton, Canada. The very first home I bought, the lady not only left a mess, but left an old satellite dish. The satellite dish, for some reason, was still bringing in like two or three really crappy channels. But one of them actually was this British 
poker channel. I used to watch that religiously every night and I didn't have the money to pay for cable at the time. So I just kept watching poker and I was like, I'm just going to go play poker. Veronica started playing at an Edmonton casino and soon she found herself taking trips to Vegas to challenge herself. She was undaunted by the fact that there were almost no other women at the tables. The guy I was dating was playing poker and I've always been one of those people who you know, I don't want to be stopped from doing something just because I'm a woman, because it was him and his friends. I didn't want to follow him around. I was going to go do my own thing. Within a few years, she was living in Sacramento, where she ran an IT system for a local hospital. Veronica was captivated by the analytical side of poker. She applied concepts that she learned while pursuing a master's degree in predictive analytics and realized she also had an ability to read people, which gave her an edge. I ran hot for a little bit, and poker was different back then. We did field-playing kind of stuff, more exploitable stuff. That means that you're playing with someone, and they give off tells, or they kind of play face up. Like, you don't see their cards, but they're giving you enough information that you can have a sense of what they have. And, like, they'll never bluff river, and so you always believe them on the river. Like, there's just a set set of rules you can play against these kinds of players. Poker wasn't just something she was good at. It became her refuge during a difficult time. I was kind of going through some rough patches in my personal life. I had a son who has since passed away from cancer, but he was sick at the time. And before he even got sick, he was having a lot of issues. And so poker became this outlet for me. Like four hours once a week, I was able to just go and do something by myself and I would go and start playing poker. When Stone's Gambling Hall opened near her in 2014, it became her home away from home. It was small enough to feel like family, but big enough to be able to play some good tournaments, 17 poker tables. They had a 24-hour restaurant, so I started going to Stone's. When Stones decided to live stream their matches online, they asked Veronica to be a commentator. Their show, Stones Live, was part of a growing trend of live poker broadcasts. The games on Stones Live started as low stakes with blinds or minimum bets starting at just a few dollars. In time, they grew bigger as big names showed up and upped the stakes with hefty wagers. And how big would the games get? What's a typical good win or bad loss? Typically on the live stream, they're playing like 2.5 or 5.10. So I would say anywhere between two and 5,000 would be a good win. And Mike would be winning sometimes like 20, 18,000. Mike is Mike Possel. Possel was a regular at Stones, who was winning, as Veronica says, up to $20,000 a day during his streak. We reached out to Possel to appear on this episode and comment on the story, but we haven't heard back as of the time of this recording. Veronica had watched him play before he was God, when he was just another player living in the Sacramento area, trying to make enough money at the tables to support himself. Mike was a very charitable, nice guy, like a very nice guy. He would tip everyone very well. He would always buy drinks for the table. He was never mean to anyone. He was really kind and generous. In his teens, Postel had been a poker player since he was working as a dealer at casinos. In his 20s, he won a handful of tournaments. He seemed like a player on the rise. But this was around the time that poker began getting taken over by quants with advanced degrees. 
players who could be working on Wall Street, but instead opted to make a fortune in poker rooms. That change started in the mid-aughts. Then, more advanced AI-based tools changed the landscape even more profoundly. These tools helped players analyze past hands from hundreds of past poker games with software called Solvers that could reveal the precise moment when a player had made an incorrect probability calculation. The era in which I learned poker, there were no solvers. There was none of that. Danny Negrano's first poker book was just like, yeah, just go all in. Then you don't have to think about it. Then your opponent has to think about it. It was a different world. The game has since changed. It's become more mathematical and analytical. Because of that change, most of today's top poker players are practitioners of Game Theory Optimal, or GTO. The idea behind GTO is that there's one best decision for every scenario. It's basically the optimal line for any play within poker. Like 80% of the time you're going to call with a king-queen in this spot. 20% of the time you're going to raise or like a percentage of the time you might fold. And so it gives you these optimal lines. It's rare these days to see a player who isn't a practitioner of GTO, like Veronica or Postle, win consistently, which is what made Mike Postle's impressive run so unlikely. And to Veronica, so unbelievable. Postle's epic streak began the summer of 2018, a full year before the September 2019 match. Poker stats are hard to come by. But by one count, he competed in 69 sessions at Stones from July 2018 to September 2019. He won 62 of them. That's an astounding win rate. Postle's stunning success made for a good story. Plenty of poker veterans believed that AI strategy and game theory optimal were killing the soul of the game. So by winning with an approach that clashed with GTO, Postle gave them a throwback to the power of gut instinct. He also gave some great publicity to his home casino, Stones, which was happy to push this narrative and turn him into a poker celebrity. During Stone's live broadcasts, graphics would depict Postle as Jesus Christ with long hair and a beard. I think the bad players were calling him a god, and I think anyone with any sensibilities was saying, something's not right, but we don't have enough information to say that he's doing anything. People were revering him because he was making all these crazy calls and because... It seemed, without sophisticated analysis, that he was fearless and a renegade and winning all the time. So he generated this fan base. Maniacs are fun in the game and they can have a heater for like a month even, you know, more than just one game. But eventually playing like a maniac, you'll end up giving it all back, if not more. Absolutely. I've seen it happen a million times. Veronica wanted to know how Postle was winning so often when it seemed like there was no method to his madness. When I spoke with him, he couldn't cognitively walk me through any of the hands like a lot of the pros could. And he wasn't studying and he didn't come across, there's just like a certain type that you see being very successful long-term. And he didn't come across in that way at all. So So there's like the hands he played in a vacuum in each spot were weird. 
but could have been explained in that one scenario. But long term, those hands didn't make sense given how he was playing them. But on top of that, outside of the game, off the table, nothing about his character or his patterns made sense to me given his outcome. Veronica suspected that Paso was cheating, but she couldn't explain how. So the only way he was able to cheat was someone in tech would relay that information to Mike somehow. In March 2019, Veronica approached Stone's management to express her concerns about Postle. She asked if there was any way that Postle could be looking at their data on the table during hands. To her frustration, management brushed her off and insisted that it was impossible. September 21st, 2019 was the day Veronica was fully convinced. With a guest commentator in the booth joining her and Kelly, Veronica had more time than usual to sit back, watch, and analyze the game. That night, if you watch a lot of his footage, he does things like a maniac. He'd be playing like an absolute animal with no regard to money. And he was always making the right decision at the right time. Like, he will have like a nine high on the river and shove against three other players. To shove or go all in with your highest card as nine on the river, which is the final betting round in Texas Hold'em, is one of many examples of Postle making a play that seemed insane. But then that insane play turned out to be the right play. Veronica called most of Postle's games on Stones Live during 2018 and 2019, and never raised any suspicions about Postle's play in public. That changed in the September game, when Postle went head-to-head with Marley Cordero and decided to fold, even though he had a great hand. There's no professional out there who would have done that. You would have called at least, at the very least, with top pair and a straight draw. So he was just like making these incredible folds During that game, I had decided that there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, it's in my mind, it was like 90% chance that he's cheating. I had decided that the management at Stones is incompetent and I needed to do something about it. About a week after the match on Stones Live, Veronica posted an 18-minute video with clips of Postle's most peculiar hands. She accompanied that post with a tweet. Am I sure that this player is cheating? No. Do I think that there is a greater than zero chance that he is? Yes. Veronica continued commenting online, saying she was convinced that Postle was somehow receiving data that told him what cards the other players were holding. She floated the possibility of a small device on his leg that let him know when he was ahead, a cheating method that wouldn't be totally unheard of in poker. Her story began making the rounds on Twitter. Her video went viral. Stone's Gambling Hall immediately released a statement that there was no evidence of Postle cheating. On Twitter, Postle claimed the allegations were unfounded. He sent Veronica a scathing text. He ripped her to shreds for going public rather than going to him privately, telling her, quote, I played against and consistently beat some of the best players in the world. He said he couldn't believe that Veronica would, quote, betray me like this and throw me to the wolves of public opinion. He denied it. And I mean, the entire time he's been like, oh, all the information will come to light. 
you know, I'll be vindicated. You'll see, Veronica, you're going to come out as this, you know, huge liar and everyone will see the truth. Possel wasn't the only one to criticize Veronica. Players she knew told her that she needed to provide concrete evidence. Even her friends, some of whom lost money to Possel at Stones, began to question why she did it. They were like, hey, I don't know if he's cheating here. I think, like, you can justify some of these hands. And, yeah, I think a lot of people thought that I was lying or trying to gain something from it or was mad at him. Matt Berkey was always a friend to me and remained objective. And I called him, I think, the Saturday night. So it was like 12 hours after I posted. And I was like almost in tears. And he said, look, if you're wrong here, people can still forgive you. You know, you can always issue an apology if you're wrong. Just give it some time. Most people were very skeptical. But during that time, the backlash became ugly. One player on Twitter even brought up Veronica's son, who had died in 2016. Very few at Stones knew about her son's illness until he passed away. Veronica had kept her family's struggles private. But after the Possel allegations, a player tweeted that Veronica, quote, couldn't wait for her own baby to die. How sick is that? I got attacked both through texts and DMs. Probably for the first three days, I right in the fetal position. All eyes in the poker world were on this controversy, but somehow Veronica, and not Mike Possel, was the target. The online mob seemed to be coming for her. It felt like it was Veronica versus the poker world, with no one coming to her defense. The management at Stones, a community she considered family, ostracized her. Veronica was still certain she was right about Possel, But had she made a terrible mistake by calling him out? Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Veronica needed help convincing the poker community that she was right about Mike Possel. She reached out to Joey Ingram, a player, popular podcaster, and YouTuber. GTO headquarters, Las Vegas, Nevada, World Series of Poker. Poker series are all around the corner today. I'm going to talk about an investigation I've been working on now for a couple weeks since I came back into poker. And uh, yeah, I've been talking with former management involved with this operation. I've been talking to numerous players about their stories. As you can tell from the clip, Ingram has experience investigating poker controversies and scandals, but not one that took place at such an established venue like Stone's Gambling Hall. Ingram was intrigued by the video Veronica had put together, showing Possel's history of bizarre plays. But Ingram was still among those who were skeptical that Possel would be so brazen as to cheat in plain sight, because his games were live-streamed. Every hand that Possel played was available to the public. Ingram turned his detective work into a performance. On October 1st, he started live-streaming himself breaking down Possel's games at Stones. 
The live stream started at 4 a.m., but it was so popular that he started another session the next day and the next. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe I identified the exact moment, sequence of events, and hands that took place on June 22nd, 2018, that led Mike Postle to decide to cheat on the Stones live stream and turn into a man that played like this with his phone on the railing for everybody to see, to a man that just two sessions later decided that he would start looking into his crotch area during pivotal moments in the hands. That's Ingram during one of those sessions, which are five hours of him narrating hands, pointing out each time that Postle makes a questionable play. But it's also him noting every odd tick. Every time Postle stares down at his lap, tugs on his cap, each time he smiles. Ingram pointed out a bulge in his cap that appeared on some days a bulge that was absent in images of the same cap on Postle's head when he wasn't at Stone's. Could the bulge be evidence of a headset that sent messages by vibrating on his head? Ingram's live streams became incredibly popular. Tens of thousands started tuning in, and fans were inspired to do their own investigative work. One online thread stuffed with video clips and Google spreadsheets showing the mathematical improbability of Postle's streak runs for over 500 pages. The theories were all over the place. While no one was certain how Postle had cheated, opinion about his innocence had shifted. One of the world's most famous players, Daniel Negreanu, tweeted that he believed that Postle cheated. The story was captivating people well beyond the poker world. Even ESPN covered the story, highlighting that it was receiving national traction. Here's a SportsCenter host bringing national attention to it. I have, however, been captivated by a poker story that has all the makings. A lot of it is honestly beyond my scope of understanding, might be beyond yours as well. But if a guy were able to cheat his way to six-figure gains playing cards and it got solved by a bunch of poker sleuths on the internet, is that a story that interests you? Because it did me. I gained a lot of public support from Joey Ingram. He was pretty much my saving grace. He was the reason why the poker community started turning around and believing that there was cheating. Stones announced that it was halting the live broadcasts while it launched an internal investigation. While opinion was shifting, hard evidence was missing. Searching for that evidence, Ingram and the online sleuths kept coming back to one key point. Postle only competed when the games were streamed on Stones Live. They pointed out that, at Stones, tables used for live streaming games were embedded with RFID, radio frequency identification sensors that scan the cards. Audiences could see the players face down cards because of those sensors. And to prevent a viewer from somehow relaying information from the live broadcast to a player during a hand, that broadcast would stream on a 30 minute delay. But was there some other way that Postle could be intercepting the data from those sensors and using it to make his plays? Stone's management was silent on this question. But there was one person who knew their operation as well as anyone there, Veronica. While the game is going on, the live stream goes straight into the tech booth in the back. And that's a separate booth. Usually two to three people are back there. And one person is putting in the graphics that they see. And then another person like adjusts the cameras, you know, where the action is. That edited portion goes on to a delay. No one can watch it live. 
and then text their buddy at the table and say, oh, they've got this. So the only way he was able to cheat was that someone in tech and Justin, which I believe their one person who helped them is still working at Stones as a dealer. Justin is Justin Caritas, the Stones Gambling Hall Tournament Director. He's one of the individuals at Stones that Veronica had raised concerns to months earlier. I did go to him about the cheating. I just thought he was incompetent, that he was unable to see the cheating. But in hindsight, it makes sense that he was helping him because he always knew what he was cashing out. He always had an excuse for him. He was always in the chat making excuses for the weird hands that happened that were completely out of the box. Caritas later penned a letter to the poker community denying taking any part in any cheating scandal. But beyond Caritas' involvement or lack thereof, Veronica was convinced that Postle was using his phone to cheat. He put his phone between his legs and his crotch and he started looking down and he did that for the majority of the cheating. But the cheating was also fluid in nature. It didn't, it wasn't always the phone in between his legs. He put phone conducting headphones in his hat and there's like pictures and videos of him with his hat stuffed and he would like hold his hand where the bone conducting headphone was, where he was probably getting information and then he would make a move. Veronica's theories became difficult to ignore and they were about to blow up in a way that couldn't be swept under the rug. And new tonight, explosive allegations in the poker world. A Henderson man, one of 25 players, accusing one of their own of cheating. He is either exponentially superhuman in a way that none of us will ever see again, or there is cheating. As you can hear in this Las Vegas local news report, the sentiment that Paso was cheating was becoming widely adopted. In early October, a group of Stones players filed a $30 million lawsuit. The lawsuit was led by another Stones regular, but included Veronica and ultimately 87 other players. They claimed fraud by multiple defendants, Stones, Postle, and Caritas. The document stated that, quote, myriad acts of wire fraud were carried out and involved Mr. Postle's cellular telephone being grasped by his left hand while concealed under the poker table and or Mr. Postle's baseball cap being embedded with a communications device creating an artificial bulge in its lining. By now, there was another sleuth on the case, the Department of Justice. The DOJ had launched an investigation and begun conducting interviews. Veronica, though, got the sense that they weren't actually trying to confirm Postle's innocence or guilt, that instead they were trying to uncover a bigger conspiracy that wasn't really there. So the DOJ started investigating, and... um. Let's just say that they were not very interested in doing anything thoroughly and they were more concerned with, was he signaling other players at the table? And I was like, no, he wasn't signaling other players. He was getting the information on his phone from the tournament director. And they're like, yeah, but you know, like, what about other players? Were other players helping him? They were more concerned with like hand signals at the table, like angling. And I'm like, no, that's not, that's not what this is about. They also didn't know anything about poker. It was just a really tough conversation just because they came in admittedly like, we don't know anything about poker. You know, we believe you that the stats show that he's cheating, but we just don't know how. And I'm like, well, I'll tell you how. I asked them if they scraped the servers. I asked them if they've gone into the phone records and they're like, well, we'll see. 
The DOJ's investigation fizzled out, but Possel was still facing multiple lawsuits. The one from Veronica's group, as well as a separate lawsuit filed in Nevada by Marley Cordero, who had gone head-to-head with Possel in the infamous Hand at Stones. The Nevada court dismissed Marley's lawsuit because they didn't have jurisdiction in California. And in the summer of 2020, the federal court in California granted Stone's mission to dismiss the lawsuit from Veronica and her fellow poker players. In California, you can't sue anyone to reclaim gambling debt. That's what they called it. This is air quotes here, gambling debt. And so they considered us suing to reclaim gambling debt when really we were suing because we were being cheated, but we got thrown into this gambling debt you know, law that they created and they dismissed it. It was really heartbreaking. Veronica's frustration continued when other plaintiffs in the case decided that they wanted to accept the settlement from Stones rather than file an amended complaint. Veronica refused. Not only was the sum insultingly low, but she would have to sign a public statement saying that there was, quote, no forensic evidence that they're cheating at Stones. Veronica wasn't going to concede that and she sure wasn't going to keep quiet. Despite the justice system's failure, Postle still faced consequences. Stone's live events were suspended, and with the suspension, his games were taken away. In October 2020, Postle filed a $330 million defamation lawsuit against Veronica and other figures and media outlets that accused him of cheating. Five months later, he dropped the suit. They did it in hopes of scaring people. I don't think that they realized that I would raise money to find a lawyer. He owes me money uh, because I filed an anti-slap and he dropped the case, which means I automatically won. And so my lawyer is still trying to reclaim money, but Mike Postle owes a lot of people a lot of money. Through his research, Joey Ingram found that during his run, Mike Postle won an estimated $250,000. In terms of the amount of money at stake, his Stone's gambling hall run wasn't close to the biggest cheating scandal in poker in recent years. For example, in 2012, a player admitted to conspiring with executives to steal more than $20 million from other players. But the Stone's scandal grabbed far more attention. It felt like the biggest poker story in years, thanks to an online culture that turns players into sensations and then delights in taking them down. The saga exposed some real issues in the poker world that have nothing to do with RFID censors and cheating. They have to do with the poker world's reaction to the whistleblower who tried to call Postle out. Why do you think people gave you so much backlash? I'm going to get backlash for saying this. I think it's because I'm a woman. I'm not a professional poker player, and I don't think a lot of people respect my assessment or my analysis in poker. I was always the color commentator in the show, But what people didn't give me credit for was my pattern recognition. Do you think the scandal would have played out differently if a man had been the first one to call Postle out publicly and lead the charge? 100%. So one of the, and and this is something that I don't want to touch on when I talk about it, because that it is the first thing that people grasp onto, especially men, is there was so much talk of me being the woman scorn that I somehow was romantically involved with him and he dumped me and I did this because I was trying to get revenge or something. And it's just so ridiculous. Dealing with these kinds of reactions and accusations is something I can relate to. 
Both Veronica and I have seen how being a woman in this world creates a whole different backdrop. There has been a lot of positive, and I think there's some benefit to being a woman in poker for sure. But I definitely feel like my opinion is not as respected a lot of times. And I feel like my tweets where I post a thirst trap, you know, I'll get 600 likes. And then I post something that I think is a thoughtful consideration of something to do with data science or crypto or something. And no interest, no, no interest. Veronica, shut up and just be a cute blonde. (laughs) I remember when I first started hosting the games, actually, when I first started just serving drinks at the games and everybody treated me a certain way. And then I became the bank, you know, and it changed so dramatically And there were some people, even though it was my game, even though I was guaranteeing the game, settling the game with my own money, there were some of the older men that that wouldn't even talk to me about the game. They would talk to another player at the table and try to communicate through them and ask questions through them. And they wouldn't even look me in the eyes. It was just crazy. So Mike was doing a lot of really bad, crazy shit at the table that didn't make sense. And that for me was like a red flag. And so many people attributed genius to him as a default for those moves. And I feel like if it was a woman, people would be like, what the hell is she doing? You know, like she's obviously cheating, but because he was a man, I feel like they just defaulted to genius. If Mike was not a male, he wouldn't have been able to get away with it as long because I don't think they'd be attributing such geniusness to a woman. And I hate saying it. I know I'm going to catch backlash because I think a lot of men who are misogynists don't recognize how misogynist they are. That's all. Even when they try not to be. And in poker, unfortunately, it's 95% men. 95%. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think it's important to talk about these things. And I think everybody needs to allow people to have their own experience and to share their thoughts on that experience. And they don't have to get so damn defensive about it. Veronica hasn't returned to Stones since that game in September 2019, but she is still commentating and still playing. At this year's World Series of Poker, she finished 246th out of nearly 8,000 competitors. She has no regrets about calling out Possel but she says she sometimes feels like everyone was a loser in the scandal. Like it would be nice for the DOJ to do a proper investigation. There are times where I'm like, nobody won. And the DOJ didn't do anything. In poker, we have to regulate ourselves and there's no one who cares about what happens in poker. It is extremely frustrating. Stone's Gambling Hall has faced consequences in other, smaller ways. Stone's live stream events have not returned since they were suspended in the aftermath of the scandal. Postle still claims his innocence, notably saying that he will be exonerated in a forthcoming documentary. But mostly, he's disappeared. He hasn't competed in any known events at Stone's or anywhere else, even though nothing is stopping him from entering any tournament. Why would the suspension of a couple of events stop God from unleashing his powers? I guess that's the big win besides my vindication. I think my big win out of all of this was that we got him off the table. We got corrupt live stream off air. We got a corrupt tournament director out of poker. 
I think there were still a lot of wins. There are times where I'm like, yes, I feel vindicated. I feel like the right thing was done for the poker community. I also think there's a big win personally for you that you stood for what you believed in. You got absolutely bullied and, and tormented for it, but you still stood for justice. And I think that's about as powerful as it gets. Torched is a production of Film Nation Entertainment in association with Gilded Audio. It's executive produced by me, Molly Bloom, Alyssa Martino, Milan Papelka, Andy Chug, and Whitney Donaldson. This episode was produced by Olivia Canny, Nikki Stein, and Kelsey Albright. It was written by Albert Chen. Additional story editing from James Boo. Editing and scoring from Ben Chug. Tori Smith is our associate producer. Technical direction and engineering by Nick Dooley original music by James Lavino. Special thanks to Allison Cohen and Matt Eisenstadt. Next time on Torched, we're looking at the drastic changes shaking the sports gambling industry in the U.S. It was illegal in New York. Suddenly I could cross the George Washington Bridge or take a ferry across to the Hudson River and go to New Jersey and just grab my phone. And suddenly this app that was not working in New York was working in New Jersey and I could just put bets on the Yankees game or whatever sporting event was going on. And, you know, my wife was like, now you're suddenly more like excited about visiting the in-laws in New Jersey. (laughs) So over the course of that first year after PASPA, took in more bets than Nevada and New Jersey. That's how quickly the story was changing. That's next time on Torched. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. See you next time.